leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business. With a decade and a half of specialized experience, we're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Into Cybersecurity Leadership, where today we have another leader from the telecoms area. Paul Rupert has an extensive experience in various areas of telecom and helping organizations improve their security posture, as well as their ability to communicate using telecom. But he also has an extensive leadership background, which we want to take advantage of and um, harness his learning today. So Paul, uh, just give us a little bit of intro about yourself and then we can jump into some of the leadership questions after that. Well, great. First off, thanks very much for the opportunity to have a discussion with you this morning and the opportunity to share some experiences with your audience. As you mentioned, my name is Paul Rupert. I happen to be the president of a global consultancy called Global Point View. And I've been called an ambidextrous executive because I seem to be able to manage two things at once in the context of I've been a senior level telecoms executive for a little over 25 years, but I've also been a consultant back to the telecom space as well as to enterprises looking to leverage telecommunications platforms. So that in layman's terms means everything from voice data as well as text messaging, which is where I got into this space. I've been in both global enterprises, as I mentioned, like AT&T, uh, and others, and I've also been involved in two rank cockroach startups, one which became a phenomenally successful enterprise. We took it from literally to half a billion dollar liquidity event in the course of five years, and I was responsible for building out the international piece of that. So therefore, again, I've got this headed coin of domestic and international. Uh, as well, I've been involved in innovation development as well as having to oversee the optimization inside large organizations of uh, different types of functionality. Uh, I happen to have two patents uh, as a co-author in messaging interoperability. And last but not least, 
I've spent time in both the private sector, which I just covered off, as well as the public sector. I spent about 10 years in that space working for a U.S. senator as an economic policy advisor to a cabinet secretary running political campaigns, kind of things you do when you are, quote, political pack. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. As you think about your leadership experience, what were some of the things that you wanted to do to move yourself from an individual contributor to become that leader for an organization? That starts off with, I guess, I got into the political world primarily because of a fascination and interest in leadership overall and the various types of colors and even cultures of leadership because I happen to be half French. So things like Napoleon Bonaparte and Charles de Gaulle were sometimes elements of the conversation over dinner when I was in high school. But as I started to get into the private sector, especially in the context of uh, mobile telecommunication, I saw various types of opportunities, but I wasn't looking on just one different functionality. I started off doing business development in a mobile operator, uh, setting up kiosks, believe it or not, retail kiosks before they were, the word was startup or excuse me, standups as they are called now. And I recognized that because I was in, even though it was a, a very large telco, and I mean that in the context of we spent $3 billion for our licenses only in California and Nevada, which was our operating footprint, but we were a startup. So there was always looking, there was opportunities to be able to expand your reach. And that was how I manifested what I thought was leadership in the context of, hey, here's an idea. And that was part of the job anyways, in the context of you're developing new initiatives and business development. And then I moved into product development after about six or seven months. So I was always raising the horizon of what I was looking to be doing uh, beyond just um, that particular role. And in addition to all that, I also leveraged my uh, my experience in the political world, which I really never really thought of at the time, which was how effective are you in developing relationships and networking across spaces that you're not familiar with? Because I came into the business not with a telecommunications or electrical engineering or computer engineering background. I was starting from scratch. So I was always on the hunt for new information, new ideas. And candidly, part of my success in my early stage of my career in that large organization is um, I was leveraging the fact that I happened to be half French and I started looking at what was going on in Europe in the same type of businesses. And so I took their playbook and brought them back to California and said, we could be doing this. Why aren't we? And in most cases, that's a great idea. Okay, go run with that. So raise your horizon, if you will, and widen your aperture in terms of being able to develop your own leadership skills and knowledge base. As you think about that, like what are the solid skills needed for that leadership experience within the organization? Oftentimes, the hackneyed view of leadership is all about command and control, order giving. And that's just not how people operate. And that's not how the world operates, especially in the context of the cybersecurity aspects where uh, integrity and trust are um, paramount. I looked at my own background relative to your question, I'd say probably that delegation, collaboration, and communication are the the three primary elements of my own success, which are essentially critical in the field that we're in, in my view. Um, 
you know, the reality is that you need to trust your team's uh, capabilities. So delegate allows them to be uh, specialized in certain areas as well as expand their own capability, uh, especially in complex fields like our uh, like cybersecurity or the telecommunications space. And collaboration brings you know, different types of perspectives, whether they are cultural, experiential, age, race, et cetera, to the multifaceted security challenges that you face in cybersecurity, as well as in the context of the jobs that I held, which were globally based. So I had to be able to, as I used to say, integrate the capabilities to elevate the performance of the company and elevate the performance of the product. Uh, and I helped manage international services at that time. So that was really key. And uh, the other aspect in terms of collaboration, and again, I don't position myself as being, uh, as a consultant, as a cybersecurity consultant, because in reality, I do more business as a strategy consultant, as well as a due diligence provider in terms of mergers and acquisitions. That's what I've been doing mostly in the last two years. And then recently with the compliance issues, the collaboration aspect essentially drives the ability to address multifaceted security challenges, which are inherent in the cybersecurity world. And then the last piece, as I mentioned, the communication piece, you know, that is essentially the glue that holds everything together so that everyone is on the same page and can respond swiftly to the threats in the cyber aspect. I had my own little adage, which was uh, eyes on, hands off, which is you entrust the people that are on your team with them, quote, doing their job, as Bill Belichick would say of the New England Patriots. As you think about your skills and competencies, how would you rate yourself on them on a scale of one to five? And how did that change over your career? So the skills and competencies, I could probably wax on forever. Even though I'm not an ego-driven individual, we can all talk about ourselves. Give me meaning delegation, collaboration, communication skills, networking, things of that nature. Yes. How did you improve them over your career and your level of comfort with them? As a kid, let's say in high school, et cetera, and going into college, I started to find my voice, I guess you could call it. I was never part of the in crowd. No one ever thinks that they're in the in crowd. But I started in, because of the experiences, the educational experiences and things that I pursued, uh, especially as I started to recognize that I was not going to get into medical school because I had failed chemistry. But the political stuff was, <laughs> I took to uh, water like a duck. And as a result of studying various types of leaders, as I mentioned, um, and I had some family experience in the political realm as well. My father had run for Congress, et cetera, but he lost. I was able to see that, yeah, this is an avenue that I could pursue. And then luckily enough, um, I took a shot and ended up um, getting a job in the Senate. Now, the communications aspect was you see that up front, you're on one side of the microphone carrying paper, but you, if you want, you can learn a lot from that. And so I learned a lot from osmosis. So the communications piece, and then the nature of the work in that first was all about networking. Even the first day on my job, I worked for a great man named John Danforth, who is a senator from Missouri. And the first day on the job, he brought in the three, I was what's called a legislative assistant, which was really a lo the lowest level job that you could have inside the a senator's office outside of doing key punch operating or something like that. And he pointed out, 
all of you, and we were all like 24, 25, which is what I was. Um, and again, there were three of us. I said, all of you are three calls away from talking to a cabinet secretary. And that was kind of like, what? But the reality was that by leveraging his, uh, if you will, his posture and his power, because it was all derivative, it was a matter of here's how you can solve the problems that you're going to be dealing with, whether they be constituent problems, not receiving social security check or something along those lines, or somebody inquiring about particular economic policy, et cetera, et cetera. So after a fashion, this was six degrees of Kevin Bacon. This was three degrees of John Danforth and how we operated, how we did our jobs. So that was something that was quite eye-opening as a, as a young man, as a young executive, not, not, a, not an executive per se, but as a young person. And then I leveraged that in the private sector. There's no question about it. Leveraging the negotiation skills that I learned, horse trading on policy issues with other members, other staff, with other members of Congress and senators, and being in the room at the same time when you know, that was being ironed out or hammered out or argued out in some cases at loud level, but be able to take that and then apply it within a private sector context was quite enriching for me. So the lesson there, put yourself out there, get yourself in the arena. Don't worry about it. Yeah. You can say fake it till you make it unless you're trying to do a surgery, but you get the idea that this is how you expand your capabilities and going back to lifelong learning. Uh, that's the other aspect of this, being open to this and being humble as well as my view. It, it seems like you really took advantage of the network effect in this role, but also took, took advantage of the influence effect of the individual that you're working for, that you could take advantage of their network and of the influence that you mentioned that you would get working for them to help achieve what you're looking to achieve. And th this is a skill that you almost have to use in your day-to-day -day career as a leader. Oh, absolutely. No question about it, especially the network effect. I love the fact that you raised that. Now you've given me the opportunity to talk about Metcalf's Law. Maybe you're familiar with, maybe you're not, but Metcalf's Law is essentially an, a, a critical element of the messaging business because the messaging business is based on networks and network of networks. And that's essentially you're riding on the telecommunications networks. So as I came into the, uh, the telecommunications world, I learned about Metcalf's Law, which is essentially you have a geometric or an exponential with every node that you add to a network. And ironically, this guy Metcalf started to design or he proposed this notion during the era of fax machines. It went from fax machines to the internet, to mobile telecommunications, as well as into messaging. And uh, I used to even sell a service when I was inside a vendor called Metcalf for exactly that reason. So yeah, all the nodes within your network, it may sound trite and hackneyed, but there is an impact uh, as a result of that. And as I read a book, I don't know, maybe 25 years ago, it was called Business is a Contact Sport, which is essentially all about how to go about building networks. And this is pre-LinkedIn, mind you. That's how old I am. So Taking that and bringing to now using technology like LinkedIn, what advice would you give to future leaders as they build their networks, as they build their influence to develop their career? Find your voice and don't be afraid to go out and take a stand on a proposal, an idea, whatever it might be, and then take your shot. There's, I can't remember 
which Roman emperor said this, but fortune favors the audacious, or even more current, the motto of the British SAS, the, the Special Air Service, which is who dares wins. Those are two things that I've called on my own. And so you're not going to do this to be really brutally candid. You can go off and have a passion for anonymity and you may do some one really, really well, but then can you marshal support from those who are different from you, who may think differently than you, who may communicate differently than you, who may have completely different backgrounds from you? That is essential to leadership. The Again, leveraging the political experience I have, as I think back on it just in this one flash, you know, the reality is that relationships scale leadership. You can't run a million, you know, let's say you have a hundred thousand people and if you want to go in the military where you have armies that are a hundred thousand people, you can't run that on your own. There's a hierarchy that exists within that context. The same thing exists inside organizational behavior, large organizations, and even cockroach startups where it may be just five guys, a dog and a computer in a garage, that same ability to act and communicate perspective without dominating. That's one of the things I would say probably has a problem in our political world at the moment. There's very little compromise between the two. So you start to learn that. And then one last step in all this is negotiation capabilities and understanding that. I read a book from an FBI agent. <laughs> I think it was a never say no. Or yeah. So, I'll take you one step further, but, but go ahead and make, I was about to say, if you want to look into yeah. the negotiation capabilities, I'll give you a book. So forgive me for interrupting, but go ahead. Great minds think alike. No, go ahead. It just made me realize that book and I loved reading it because it takes you from no, the first no really means I, I want to learn more versus it being a full stop. No. Yeah. And when I sold telecommunications back in my younger days, it was three or four no's before we right. really said yeah, no. Yeah, I've often so, used, again, I've run a large sales organization and somebody who might be at a lower level or a junior level. And, and I maybe have three levels in my organization of 40 people around the world. I remember I said no to this. I'm like, okay, you probably were not qualifying properly. And secondarily, this is just a deferred yes. So just keep going, go back to them. Really? Go back to them. Yes, go back. Here's how. But the book that I was about to suggest, you know, at Harvard Business School, there is a class called Negotiations Analysis and has been there for about 35 years. And it's run by the same professor. I understand, I think it's still today. I took that class. I was a Kennedy School student, meaning I was at the Kennedy School of Government, but half my coursework I took at Harvard Business School. And the professor's name is James Sabanius. And the book is Manager as a Negotiator. And he talks about the structure and process. So the FBI, I've read that book as well some years ago when it first came out. The difference is one is very approachable, one's very analytical. But that analytic applies to so many things. And the class was a great class because every week he had us doing a negotiations. And it was negotiating with other members of the class. And then you would win a status by having the best negotiating outcome. And the best negotiating outcome was measured in the context of how to analyze negotiations. And we had all different types of, and in about five years ago, I picked up another book that he wrote, which was three-dimensional. I think it's called 
three-dimensional negotiations or 3D negotiations, what he's talking there is that oftentimes in negotiations, you have the two principles across the table, but there's a whole constellation of other interests that are involved in these negotiations. They're just not at the table that you might be representing. And that was my takeaway. And again, it hooked me because again, the elements that I've been involved in terms of selling and negotiating to mobile network operators or enterprises vis-a-vis telecommunication services, it's not always the decision maker. There are influencers that are may not may or may not be in the room. And as I would always put it for myself and then my teams, which was what's the executive landscape for this challenge that we're looking at? Meaning I want to know who the players are. Where do they sit? Are they at the table? Are they out the door? Do we need to? And then oftentimes the commercials, people like myself who are just focusing on the commercial expansion and capabilities and then the pricing negotiations, et cetera, we had to be able to have an understanding of what the technical side was considering. And so then I started changing my even approach to um, front-loading the technical elements of the discussion. So we were co-opting the technologists on the other side who were saying, no, that's not going to work. We were going right to them at the beginning and then moving to the commercial guys. It's a little bit of Chiavelli in the context of a, of a negotiations, but that's those are the kind of things that I would also suggest pick up and read, including the FBI agent's book, as I recall. Or go to Harvard Business School and take negotiations analysis. There you go. One way or the other. Any final advice that you would give to future leaders? The other element of this is, as I've looked back, and I've had this question asked of me before, the pursuit of leadership is not linear. It may be a ladder, but it's not linear. It's not A to B to C to D. And you've got to widen your aperture and be very adaptable to opportunities as they come up. And then the other element is you don't always... Even in the context, you know, I was talking about earlier, bragging, if you will, that I was in a startup that went from scratch to half a billion dollar liquidity event. There was a lot of days that was just pure hell and it wasn't what you thought it would be. It's not a pristine, even though it's portrayed in the context of the media, the collective business media, et cetera, the heroes of startups, et cetera. But the reality is most days it's a knife fight and then you start getting traction. And then you've got to stay humble in terms of what are we doing here and looking for other opportunities. So it's constantly pivoting and being adaptable to the conditions in front of you. Don't think that they're going to be that way. You know, and to cap all that, it's like what Winston Churchill said. If you're going through hell, keep going. Well, perfect. Um, <laughs> perfect. Paul, I don't know about perfect, so but much. I appreciate that. I just Thanks try to give good conversation yeah. and get good conversation on these things. I appreciate it. And I'm sure those that are listening will learn some lessons from your advice. Uh, the way I say it is that they're cheap that you can learn from others and there's expensive lessons that you can learn from. So hopefully they learn the cheap lessons from you. Yeah rather than expensive lessons for themselves. To be honest. And with that. I'm always looking for feedback as well in the context. There were a few times I'm thinking to myself, no, you're going too long, Paul. You're going to lose the audience. I'll definitely ask them to give feedback and share that with you, Paul. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, everyone that's listening. Please share this with others. We need diverse perspective. We need diverse experience in order to be successful in this field. 
and individuals like Paul that come from a different background. We, we need the skills and competencies from those areas as well to be successful in cybersecurity. So it's a team sport. So I invite others to the table. Thank you everyone for joining and have a great day.